This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we had a lovely uh, uh, sunrise service this morning at 7 o'clock in the main. Some of us joined with the Presbyterians and there was uh, some Methodists and Church of Ireland Baptists and we're all together. I don't know how many, well, Johnny reckon, 50 maybe, 50, 60 there this morning, which was lovely. And thankfully the rain kept away. We didn't see any sun, uh, but uh, we were worshiping the Son of God, not the sun, so that didn't matter. And then there was a lovely breakfast provided Uh, by the Presbyterians afterwards. So this is something that they want to do each year. It's something that they want to rotate around the churches as well. So someday it will be our turn. And uh, so you'll get to make bacon buddies. They're very tasty this morning, I have to say. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In just over three years, this Galilean rabbi, this Nazarene and his followers, uh, had risen to great prominence in the land of Israel. Countless miracles were performed and multitudes began to follow Jesus of Nazareth. And for a while, his popularity, as it grew, then the opposition to him by the scribes and the Pharisees grew also. They had felt threatened by his popularity and his scathing denunciations of all of their hypocrisy, which he hated, only antagonized them more even to the point where they plotted his death. And finding a willing traitor among his band of followers, it wasn't long till they planned an arrest and a trial. And what a mockery of a trial it was. It didn't even do common justice. Uh, It didn't even make any sense. It was just ridiculous. It was a kangaroo court in a form. And having boxed Pilate into a corner, he gave the order for the execution of Jesus Christ. And all too soon it was over, and he lay cold in a tomb. And with this messianic imposter out of the way, and his disciples scattered to the four winds, they felt very confident that very soon uh, that any memory of him uh, would simply Uh, fade away. And then things would go back to the way they had always been. And they felt quite confident that uh, normal religious activity 
uh, would resume. Now that this Jesus of Nazareth and his brand of religion was dead, and he was buried. But there was just one last detail that required their attention. Because while he was alive, uh, he raised several people from the dead, and nobody could deny that fact. But of course, in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, they raised people from the dead. But they remembered that Jesus said that he himself would rise from the dead. Of course, they didn't believe that. It's one thing for a living man to raise people from the dead, but for a dead man to raise himself from the dead. Why, that would be impossible. But they remembered that he had said he would rise from the dead. And just in case his disciples also remembered that, then they went to Pilate and they got an order that they could seal the tomb and they could put a guard on it. In Matthew 27, verse 62 to 66, let me read it. On the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come at night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. It's amazing though, isn't it, how that the friends of Jesus, his disciples, even though he had told them on several occasions that he would rise again from the dead, but they had completely forgotten that altogether. It wasn't even in their thinking. But it was in the thinking of his enemies. They hadn't forgotten it. But no stone could entomb him. And no seal could secure him. And no grave could hold him. And nothing in heaven and earth and under the earth could stop Jesus Christ rising from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. This was the defining moment in all of Christianity. This was it. In fact, in all of human history, this was the defining moment. Without the bodily resurrection of Christ from the grave, Paul said our preaching is in vain. All our believing, all of our testifying is all futile. Without the resurrection of Jesus, our Bible is worthless, our prayers are pointless, our message is meaningless. But thank God the grave could not hold him. The difference between Christianity and any other religion, it is the only religion in the world that is based on the resurrection of its founder. There's not a Buddhist in the whole world believes that Buddha rose from the dead. There's not a Muslim dedicated and loyal to Muhammad as they are do not believe or believes that Muhammad rose again from the dead. But every born-again believer in Christ, every one of us believes that Jesus actually, physically, literally rose again from the dead. In the book of Acts, there are 13 sermons 
Seven by Paul, five by Peter, and one by Stephen. And in all of those messages, they convey this truth that Jesus Christ is alive and that he can change and save a life. Glory to God. And so those early believers, resurrection is spoken of more than 100 times in the New Testament. Those early disciples, believers, uh, they could not stop talking about it. It was the biggest and the greatest thing that had ever happened to them. It was pivotal. It was monumental. It was life-changing. And it was the subject and the heart of their preaching. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not risen, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. So this was a big deal. This was vitally important. It's a shame that there are many so-called ministers today that do not believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. You cannot be a believer in Christ and not believe in his bodily resurrection. It's impossible. It's such an integral part of what we believe, of what the Bible teaches. Let's consider this morning the overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose again from the dead. In those 40 days, after his death and before his ascension, he appeared bodily, physically, 12 times to various people. We spoke last Sunday morning about Mary Magdalene and how that she was the first person and the first woman to see Jesus alive after his resurrection. The apostle Paul was the first, sorry, the apostle Peter was the first apostle to see Jesus after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 to 8, Paul puts it this way. And he was seen by Cephas, or by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And notice that Paul in his report there did not put uh, the testimony of the woman. Because as I told you last week, he's writing to the Corinthians. And in that society, in that culture, in that era, a woman's testimony did not hold any weight. They could not testify in court. And so Paul, writing to the Corinthians, doesn't even mention them. But of course, Jesus made sure that women would be highly honored. And uh, Magdalene was first, last at the cross, and she was first at the tomb. Now, without going into the exact timeline of each of these appearances, I want to this morning just draw our attention to a few of them. Uh, as evidence, these were eyewitnesses that Christ rose again from the dead. First of all, there was Thomas. I remember that first uh, Sunday, that first resurrection Sunday, when the disciples had gathered into that room, and Jesus just suddenly appeared. He didn't knock the door. He didn't 
need anybody to open the door. He just appeared in their midst. And you remember that Thomas was not with them. Why, we don't know. Perhaps he felt, what's the point? I have been with those boys for three years. I know what they're all like. And if Jesus is not there, what's the point of me even being there? I know what James and John are like. They just want to be first place in everything. And I certainly know what Peter's like. You know, he's just going to take the lead and he's just going to blab and he's just going to give his opinion to everybody whether they want it or not. So I don't really want to be there. Maybe that's what happened. Who knows? Maybe he was just so depressed and despondent and in despair, he just could not face being there. But what a shame because he missed a wonderful thing that Jesus would appear right in their very midst. People miss church for the flimsiest, silliest reasons imaginable. And when they do, they miss an opportunity to be with Christ among his saints. But we know that the following Sunday, again the disciples were gathered together, and this time Thomas is with them whether he felt better or thought better, because those disciples, they reported back to him and they told him excitedly that Jesus was alive. They had seen him. He appeared in the room and he did not believe it. He flatly refused to believe it. He was highly skeptical. And nothing they could say would convince him. In fact, he says, unless I see the prints in his hands, unless I see the marks in his hands, unless I put my finger in there and my finger into his side, I will not believe. Hmm. And so, that second Sunday, there he was in that room. I like what John Phillips says. He says about Mary Magdalene regarding the resurrection to her, it was a matter of the heart. It was a matter of the heart to her. You know, all of the disciples, when Jesus was crucified and laid in that tomb, and especially Thomas, he epitomizes this, they lost their faith. Not one of them believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. They had no faith to believe that, even though he had told them. He said, Mary Magdalene went to that tomb, not because of her faith, not because of hope, because they all had lost hope. You remember the two on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus met them and began to share the scriptures about himself? way back from the Old Testament and how their hearts were warmed when they heard that, it burned within them. And they said to him, when he said, why are you so sad? They said, well, are you the only one in Israel that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? <laughs> he says, what happened? And they says, well, Jesus of Nazareth, a great prophet and a man mighty in word and deed. And listen to this. And we hoped, we hoped that he would redeem Israel but their hope was gone. So when Mary turned up at that tomb that morning, 
It wasn't because of faith. It wasn't because of hope. It was only because of love. That was the only thing that drew her to the tomb. She loved Jesus. And Philip says regarding John and the resurrection, it was a matter of the mind. Remember we said last week when he got to the tomb, he looked in and he saw the grave clothes. And when he saw the grave clothes, it says he believed. He, when he saw how Jesus had vacated the grave clothes, he believed. It was a matter of the mind. And he says with Peter, it was a matter of the conscience. Three times he denied Jesus. Swore oaths that he did not know the man. And when Jesus met them on the seashore that morning and had made that breakfast for them and he took Peter aside and three times, lovest thou me? His conscience, his conscience was bothering him. It was a matter of the conscience. But he said with Thomas, it wasn't a matter of the heart, it wasn't a matter of the mind, it wasn't a matter of the conscience, it was a matter of the will. I will not believe. I will not believe. But that second Sunday, when he stood there in that room, and Jesus again appeared and immediately addressed him, Thomas, reach out your finger. Come on, touch me. Put your finger in the wounds. Do not be faithless but believing. It's me. See me, feel me, touch me. My Lord and my God, he said. The resurrection settled the issue of the heart, of the mind, of the conscience, of the will. It's vitally important to the Christian faith. And then James, the brother of Jesus, along with all Jesus' other brothers and sisters, for 33 years, every day that Jesus was alive on the earth, not one of them, including James, believed that he was the Messiah. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Unbelief is a terrible thing, isn't it? They saw Jesus grow up in the midst. He was the elder brother. They saw how perfect his life was. They saw him in ministry. They saw miracles. They heard of miracles. They even knew that he raised the very dead. And yet, they refused to believe that he was the Messiah. Incredible. And the only thing that changed, changed James's mind was the resurrection. When Jesus physically, bodily appeared to them, then there was no problem. Then and only then did they believe. It doesn't tell us what they thought. I'm sure they felt embarrassed. I'm sure they felt ashamed. I'm sure they felt, how could we have been so blind? Even people that wasn't related to him believed he was Messiah, and we were his brothers, and we didn't believe it. But now they believe it. And James rose up 
to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. And in his epistle, he begins this way, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not of my half-brother, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's owning him now as Lord, just not a family member anymore, but as the Lord and as the Christ. The resurrection changed his whole life. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't, wasn't angry with them, didn't condemn them for it. He just appeared, and suddenly they believed. I'm sure he could have said, it's taking you a long time. I told you so, but he didn't. How gracious, how tender, how loving. And then, of course, the apostle Paul is one out of, born out of due time. The least of all the apostles, he said. The chiefest of sinners. Nobody could accuse Paul of making up a story about the resurrection. Nobody despised Jesus of Nazareth more than Saul of Tarsus. He was the one you remember who went as far as Damascus to imprison Christians to wipe out this Nazarene sect once and for all. And he had a passion and a zeal to do it. He was the one, you remember, who stood as the chief witness when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was dying. But he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And when he met Christ on that road to Damascus, his life was suddenly and irrevocably changed forever. Lord, what do you want me to do? Glory to God. What an instantaneous, miraculous change from a man who hated with a passion to a man who now loves with a passion. Glory to God. The resurrection is such an important thing. Saul of Tarsus was a proud Pharisee. He was not going to believe a lie. Too much was at stake for that. He was not going to give up his great status in the religious world for a lie. Only the truth would set him free. And it did. Then there was the 500. 1 Corinthians 15 and 6. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. I wonder why they had all met at the one time in the one place. Doesn't tell us, but we can only surmise. Perhaps they had heard the word had gone out like wildfire that Jesus actually is alive, that he's risen from the dead. He's appearing to people. Maybe they'd all got together to talk about it and to discuss it and wonder about it and ask each other, well, what did you hear? What did you, did you see him? What did, did Peter, were you talking to Peter? 
And suddenly, as they met together, all 500, suddenly Jesus appeared right there in the midst. What a moment that must have been. What a meeting that must have turned into. It says, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. See, Paul is writing some 30 years after the event. So that must mean that most of those 500 were young men at the time this happened. But it imply the older ones among them, many of them had died off. And so, because of this, you can be sure that Paul met with probably many of those young men and discussed this with them and said, tell me what you saw. What did he say? It must have been a wonderful meeting. Remember these 500, these were not the inner circle. These were just ordinary five-eighths believers. <laughs> and yet Jesus makes sure he just doesn't appear those 12 times to just the inner circle. But he widened that circle to include just the ordinary five-eighths. Those 500 believers, he brought them in. And he showed them himself. So what a great array of witnesses we have regarding the resurrection. And enters Peter. Nothing only the resurrection could turn this man around. <laughs> you remember during Jesus' trial and crucifixion, his execution, how that Peter was a total coward an unmitigated disaster of a disciple, all of his bragging, all of his displays of bravado were all a sham. When push came to shove, he was just as scared as the rest of them. And when Jesus was dead and buried, life for him was over. His dream was gone. How in the world could this broken shell of a man ever recover from the shame and ignominy of what he had done to Christ? Only the resurrection. Only Jesus coming to him and appearing to him could change this man, this broken, failed disciple. And yet after the resurrection, he became the leading apostle and the leading evangelist in the first half of the book of Acts. And what a mighty man of God he was. And in the end, he died a martyr for Jesus and asked to be crucified upside down rather than the normal way out of his respect for the master. We have the martyrdom of the apostles. If the resurrection was a lie, if it was a fabrication, why would these men who ran for fear of their lives when Jesus was being tried and crucified, why would they now suddenly be prepared to live and to die for a dead Jesus? It just doesn't make sense. 
Now, there's many a man would live and die for a lie if they believed the lie, if they were convinced the lie was true, if they were deceived enough. There's many a man would even live for a lie if he thought it would bring him advantage. But nobody's going to die for a lie that they know is a lie. Nobody's going to put their life on the line for something they know absolutely to be a lie. They're not going to do that willingly. So why would these men do this? For no other reason than it was the truth. Jesus was truly alive. And he appeared to them. And he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet and he showed them his side. And they went out with that message on their lips. Of which, Peter says, we have been witnesses. (laughs) They had experienced it. An ounce of experience is better than a ton of theory, isn't it? And they had the experience. And then there was the, the witness of the explosive growth of the church. Remember that within 50 days of the crucifixion, suddenly 3,000 get saved at one time, at one moment. And then 5,000. That's 8,000. And then all Jerusalem was filled with this doctrine. And then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Within 50 years, there was a Christian church in every major city of the Roman Empire. Think of that. Within 50 years. During the first three centuries of Christianity, nearly four million Christians were buried in the catacombs, the 600 miles of catacombs that surround the city of Rome. I've stood in those catacombs. I've seen those burial chambers of all shapes and sizes, ones for little children, ones for grown adults. See, the Romans, they cremated, the Egyptians mummified, but the Jews and the Christians buried, and the Christians especially, believing in the resurrection. Paul says the burial is like planting a seed that's going to grow again. It's going to come to new life and spring up. Four million in the first three centuries. It was reckoned in the three centuries A.D., about 20 million believers were in the Roman Empire. 20 million in three centuries. According today, according to the Pew Research Center, over 2.2 billion people in the world call themselves Christian. From a handful of disillusioned, disappointed, despondent, depressed believers, 
to a movement that's 2,000 years old that has spanned all the continents on earth. 2.2 billion people say they own the name of Jesus. What can you put that down to other than the resurrection? If Jesus had not arisen from the dead, it would not have happened. And then there was a sign I call the sign spoken of. Jesus made several remarkable claims about himself. He claimed to be eternal, John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. But the Jews didn't like that. He was the only man who was living before he was born. He claimed he was sinless. In him was no sin. He claimed he could forgive sins. The Jews didn't like that either. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they understood what he was saying. And his greatest claim was he claimed that he was God. John 14 and 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Unmistakable. Not vague or nebulous. Straight, literally in your face saying, I am God. But when he was charged to show a sign to prove that, this is interesting, he refused. He refused. But instead he pointed to his resurrection as the only sign he was going to give. In Matthew 12, 38 and 40, let me read this to you. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You know, be making all these big statements. Well, okay, prove it. Show us a sign. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we know all what that's speaking of. Huh? His death, his burial, his resurrection. Of all the signs that he could have chosen, he makes the resurrection the greatest sign of all. And that's why it's so vitally important for us as the believers. Trust me, there's swathes of the church who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. And it's a scandal. It's something that we hold dear that we need to defend. Romans 1.4 says, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. There's the evidence. There's the sign. This evidence demands a verdict. It does not allow us to be neutral. We have to decide one way or the other. Either Jesus is alive or he's dead. And if he's dead, and he's not alive, and he hasn't risen, Paul says that everything we believe is futile. 
We might as well close our Bibles, put a lot on the church door, and go out and live like the devil. But if he's alive, then we're accountable and we're responsible. And one day, because he lives, we shall live also. Glory to God. Let me close with this. When you pay a bill, if you've got a debt, and you pay a bill, you get a receipt. Now, the receipt was not the thing that paid the bill. It's just the evidence that the bill is paid. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't know anything. He went to the cross to pay the debt that we owed. And our debt was great. We had broken God's laws, and we had no way, no way of repaying that debt. But Jesus went, he paid the debt for us. And God raised him from the dead. And the resurrection, it's a receipt that the debt has been paid. That's our receipt from God, that our debt has been paid. That what he gave on that cross was enough to pay our debt. Paid in full. Tetelestai, he cried out. It is finished. Paid in full. God raised him from the dead. That's the receipt. The debt has been paid in full. Aren't you glad for the resurrection? That's our evidence today. That's why we love the resurrection. That's why Easter Sunday is so important to the Christian church. It's saying to the world, listen, we owed a great debt, but Jesus paid that debt in full, and his father rose him from the dead again. And that's our receipt. Every time we read the Bible, we can say, there's the receipt. It's all paid for us. Glory to God. We didn't have to pay a thing. We couldn't pay a thing. But Jesus paid it all. All to thee I owe. <laughs> Glory to God. Can we pray? Lord, we rejoice today. What a victory. What an awesome victory is the cross and the resurrection. We thank you today that you're no longer on a cross. You're no longer in a tomb, but you're seated at the very right hand of the Father on high. And soon and very soon, you're coming back again to claim those who know you and love you. And so we give you thanks. We bless you for who you are today. We rejoice in this wonderful victory. We bless you for it. And we give you thanks. And because you live, we shall live also. We thank you for everyone who are lying in a grave today. We bless you that they, when they hear that trumpet blast, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Glory to God. What a triumph in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.